welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. We're so glad you're here. Join us this season as the sisters, along with Father Harrison Eyre, explore what it means to live with a sacramental worldview. You can find out more about our work at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. This is Sister Danielle, and I'm here with Sister Nancy Elselman and Father Harrison Eyre. Awesome. I'm so excited for today's topic, uh, Modernism, the Obstacle to the Sacramental Worldview. Uh, this is this has been like this is the meat, right? Well, it's all meaty, really. I mean, it never gets super light, though the conversation's fun. Um, no, I'm really excited about this because I think a lot of people have found themselves um, kind of hitting up against this topic in a lot of different ways. Um, and that there's a lot of different ideas that people have about what is modernism. It can be so nebulous. But before we uh, jump into the meat today, I wondered if anyone had any stories um, stories at the parish or overheard in the convent. I had a funny story told to me today. Um, it's like unrelated to anything except for maybe the liturgy. But um, today at lunch, a sister was sharing this hilarious story. Um, the Mary Knoll fathers used to have a place right across from us here at our mother house and they would say mass. And so um, they have religious life and they have a sense of humor, you know, as you have to in community. But when you are a postulant or novice, it is like your duty, because then they had the postulants here, it's your duty to take care of the sacristy or the all things liturgical, right? And there, even in the day, there was, um, was we're talking about, I think like around the 60s, this story happened. So there was a lot more kind of like ways of doing things than <laughs> there are even now, but even now you're nervous. You're like, everybody knows what I'm doing or not doing well. So anyway, it comes with a certain amount of like anxiety, sometimes holy, sometimes not. But anyway, so it was Christmas midnight mass. And one of the sisters had put in um, a candle that was a little bit faulty, but she thought it would, it would be fine. And so it was one of those like oil ones that screw in but the threading kind of had worn on it. And so in the middle of mass, the candle pops out of its stand and flies and hits a seminarian. By the way, there are like a dozen priests and a dozen seminarians there and it hits them on the top of the head. And the whole chapel is like, <gasps> and father says, yes, we lose a lot of seminarians that way. <laughs> and continued with the mass. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. Sometimes we just need a That's knock awesome. on the head. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> Help along the way. Exactly. But it actually, a little dose of reality, right? That's right. Exactly. That's right. It's so good. Talk about being enlightened. Yeah. That's so funny. So anyway, that's kind of a fun uh, story leading into this whole idea of modernism because there are the modernism wars right now that can happen <laughs> in culture where this debate of like, you know, modernism is evil and or modernism is, uh, you know, uh, an effect of communism or all of these things that are happening, right? Um, but Father, you write so eloquently and um, really kind of, and simply, honestly, um, you bring a clarity to this. Can you explain for us uh, 
kind of the way that the approach that you've taken to talking about modernism. Yeah. So yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's a favorite buzzword uh, that's easily thrown around, especially in church circles, you know, that's modernism, that's modernism. And it's like, do, do you know what that word even means? Uh, it's like in the Princess Pride, right? It's, yeah. uh, I don't think you know what that word means. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and it, it's a word that kind of develops. Like, so my, my master's thesis was kind of on this kind of time period. So it's like, a, it's, I gotta, I'll have to be careful to not uh, talk too much because I can talk forever on this. But it, it was a, Pius X is the one who kind of popularizes the term. Uh, with his encyclical Bishendi Dominici yes. Gregis, I believe I'm getting That's that correct. right. I believe I'm getting that right. Yes, okay, good. <laughs> so the encyclical is kind of talking about what modernism is, and it was a kind of creeping ideology that was sweeping into the church, uh, denying a whole bunch of stuff, denying that the scriptures were. De- uh, it, this is actually the big place it really played out was actually in scripture scholarship, uh, the idea that. The scriptures were divinely inspired. This is the time when the historical critical method is kind of taking shape Mm -hmm. in Protestant Mm -hmm. theology and stuff like this. And, and the church has to navigate and deal with a lot of this stuff. It's actually also, it's also a great springtime, I would say of magisterial documents on scripture Mm -hmm. because of this. Uh, There's just a plethora of them at this time. Every Pope's writing on scripture at this time. It's really interesting, but um, so they're denying this idea that God actually inspires that it's all, um, all kind of like a, a fruit of the, its, its own historical period. And so there's no freedom in the writers. There's no freedom of God to inspire it, et cetera. And, but it, you know, um, uh, pious also goes against all the other ways that it comes out. But there, there was one problem. I, I, hate, I hesitate saying it this way, but there is like one little issue with, with the encyclical. It never actually really defined what modernism is. It never, it never makes the effort to kind of give you a one or two phrase definition of, of what he means by this. And I think that's part of the reason why it gets thrown around like a buzzword, because we don't really actually have a magisterial definition. So in the book, what I try to do is kind of pin this down. And this actually is thanks to one of my seminary profs. He, I was taking a class on Vatican II, and, and he was talking about this early period, and he gave this very simple definition. He said, modernism is the denial of mediation. That was that. Father Don McDonald, who is a, a great priest, mm-hmm. Franciscan friar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I thought, wow. And it was great because I remember in that class, actually, there's large debates. No, no, no. Modernism is the, is the focus on the human person. He goes, no, that's not modernism. And if you read Pescendi, you start to see that that's the theme that, that, mm-hmm. that Pius is playing out. If it, so, let's look at some examples. Like, so if we uh, the mediation mean that God means that God works in and through the world. Mm-hmm. That's a very simple, straightforward definition of it. Mm-hmm. God, in other words, God uses His creation to manifest Himself, mm-hmm. right? And so it, it goes against this idea that oh, all I need, all I need is I, it's just between me and God. This individualistic mm-hmm. idea, like all I need to do is just talk to God in my own individual prayer. And that's enough. Well, no, actually, uh, the sacramental worldview would actually say, no, actually, in a way, God works almost indirectly on purpose to bring creation into cooperation with him. Um, but some ways that modernism plays out. So, yeah, it would deny the inspiration of scripture. It would deny the divine institution of the church. It would deny the working of grace through the sacraments. 
it would deny the divinity of Jesus. And this, these are all ways that it, this plays itself out in theology in the 20th century in different schools of thought where all these things are being denied. And, and But at the heart of it is this idea that it's the denial of mediation. Now, this is actually important because this is I, – I think it's – and maybe this is where we can maybe, I don't know, talk about this a bit because this is, I think, how we experience the world. Yes. Right? And that's why sacramental worldview – that's why we have a hard time embracing it because we don't recognize and accept the fact that we have been raised in a kind of ideology of modernism. Which actually comes out of the whole Enlightenment theories. And it, mm -hmm. it comes from also the philosophies of Kant and Descartes and all of that. And so, yeah, it is kind of focused a little, you know, you're the one seminary who says it's focused on the human person. Yes, but to a, a problematic view to where we're denying right. there's anything beyond the human person. It becomes very self-centered, very individualistic. And you can see where in our culture that has really started, it has played out. Uh, you know, it's full experience of the Enlightenment theory, which modernism comes out of, and the whole denial of the concrete that is a mediation for the spiritual. Uh, that comes very clearly. And, and interesting, because even in scripture scholarship, I don't know if we remember talking about this, Father, but it's like the whole quest of the historical Jesus and why that was such a theological problem. That, that whole movement of yeah. the quest of the historical Jesus, because it was doing yeah. this, exactly. It was separating yeah. Christ from his divinity, really, that there's something beyond just finding him historically. Right. So what would happen in scripture scholarship for those who make, because this is it's very interesting. These are all theories and that are kind of going by the wayside slowly. You don't, you kind of hear about it in, like I heard about it in seminary, but it wasn't a theological basis to work off anymore. It was more like, just so you know, this was a thing. Um and it would, and actually, Pope Benedict addresses this in Jesus of Nazareth: the separation of the Christ of history from the Christ of faith. Right. So the idea is that Christ of history is is the stuff without miracles. Right. The stuff, like maybe some of it. So like what would scripture call, they would kind of pick apart the scriptures and say this is something the historical Jesus would say, but this is something from the Christ of faith. In other words, anything that was miraculous or divine was seen as an accretion to the scriptures, an add-on from the disciples to give credence to their belief about who Jesus is. Right. Mm. Yeah, it, it sometimes, actually, though, it does kind of play itself out in the culture. Um, mm -hmm. And you see this in, I see this a lot in some movies, <laughs> not necessarily in, in talking about historical Jesus, but just this idea of the separation of the the material from the spiritual. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if either if you have seen the movie Soul. It was Disney's Soul, that animated oh, sure. movie. Not yet. I've been wanting to see it for this reason. Okay, well, I have some <laughs> serious problems with it. Um, I did a whole like a little TV webcast thing on it, but it's it's interesting. So it's an interesting story for those who haven't um, seen this movie. It, it um, also received a couple Oscars, um, but it's it's a story of Joe Gardner. It's this jazz musician who's teaching in a school, you know, music, but he feels like he hasn't quite found his spark. He hasn't found the thing that, you know, kind of defines his life, you know, the best thing for him, uh, kind of like his niche in the world. Well, he finds his niche, he ends up going to a jazz club and he gets hired. And just as he's leaving and he feels like he's all excited, this is what he's been waiting for all his life is to play in a jazz club. And he like falls in a, like a manhole and dies. <laughs> he ends up 
in the great beyond. Okay, that's what it's called, the great beyond. Well, he realizes he doesn't want to die. He's like, I just found my my mission life. I'm not going to die. And so he takes off and he falls through another black hole and ends up in the great before. Okay, which there's a lot of heresies in this movie. It sounds like this sounds like Platonism. <laughs> Completely. Okay, I was just going to explain this. I was like, so I mean. And the director, Pete Doctor, I mean, I think he's trying, you know, but he actually goes and he searches every religion and philosophy and life to try to determine, like, well, what's the origins of the human personality? And, but he, he really kind of determines it from the, the concept of determinism. Like, we can determine our own life. We can, by our very actions, can determine our very, who we are as human beings. Well, we, that's a big problem. And my problem with this, it comes actually out of Gnosticism too, but it's it's a problem because it's it's separating the human person. It's saying that there was a pre-existence of the soul. Yeah. And that's a heresy. But mm -hmm. it's also throughout the whole movie, it talks it about this person's soul, but never in conjunction with the physical body. But we as Catholics understand we are a human person, body and soul. Mm -hmm. and, and and I think this is where this even this idea of modernism it's not it's misunderstanding that mediation yeah. of the of the tangible for right. the supernatural for the soul yeah. right. and, and and this plays this plays itself a lot today about how we see the body right we see the body as a canvas of expression rather than the revelation of a person exactly mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and and that the body is actually in the, like so for the Catholic body's integral to what it means to be human that death is an unnatural thing and that we are not complete without the body mm -hmm. <laughs> right so like even like i i get we have these like, kind of pious ideas about heaven which is they're true like that yes my soul goes to heaven but that's not the final state right. resurrection of the body exactly. is like integral to our faith right mm -hmm. but you see this but yeah like i think i think part of this is is uh there's a lot of forms of people so the idea is now the body becomes this form of expression of the true self, the inner self. What's on? What's what I really have within is who I really am, regardless of the body. But the body is not mm -hmm. meant to be kind of a canvas, but it's meant to be integrated whole with the person. And and so that becomes another way that this kind of manifests. So the body today, like it really does become to see as a burden and a barrier of my mm -hmm. true self. I got to say, I got to go back to that movie, Soul, because I don't want to just totally knock it completely down, although I do have a lot of issues that this is how children are understanding. Like, yeah. it, it, people say, oh, yeah. it's just an innocent story. It's not. It's actually giving a very particular philosophy. And, mm -hmm. and so we're kind of, like, indoctrinating our kids like this. But, I mean, at least at the end of the story, it's like he reflects back on his life. So I, I'm giving it away. Okay, spoiler alert. He comes back into his body. Um, and he, he reflects back on his life and he realizes it's in the simple moments and in the, the precious memories that are the gift and that to be cherished. So it's realizing that it's not just finding that big thing for us to do. That's our, that's the whole meaning and purpose of our life, but it's in the little moments. And it's, so I got to say, there there are some good elements of the movie, but <laughs> I have a big problem with the, the rest of it. <laughs> well, and in culture, too, if you think of like the, because my experience of modernism, I honestly was very much a product of modernism. I studied it. I like really gave way to the philosophy of relativism that leads you through modernism. And a lot of it, like when I was studying it in school, 
and just even the history of art, it was an exiting of the body. It was an exiting of the reality of the war, of just this, what was happening of disintegration of society or culture, or even the sense of um, separating yourself from an outside authority, right? So it was it was exactly as we say it is. It's it's not a, a mystery in history as to what it, it what the desired end was. It's now we're kind of looking at it um, as a and living the fruits of it, really, right? So it was an active movement within the arts to do such things. I mean, it's fascinating to I was at a museum um, with a, another sister and we were looking at a painting um, that was made in 1914, which is the year that our congregation really got started. And it was, it was not a Picasso, but it was like it. And it was called um, Man in Parts. And there was an eye over here and a nose over here and an eye, whatever, a face, it was all in parts. And it was the human person compartmentalized and separated. So not integrated. So this disintegration of, of man and his body. It was an intentional thing towards a desired goal. So like when I hear about soul or when I watch that movie, I find these as information where we're at. Like these are the desires and the longings of the human heart crying out for something. And the sadness of it, the, the, the tragedy really is, is that that can only happen in Christ. Like that thing you want is so true. You are so smart. Your body, your soul, you were made to communicate with God. But the lie of it is that you cannot have that thing you desire without him. Yeah, it's, you see, I think the reason it's important to talk about this and you kind of bring it up with the arts is, is this is, to put it a little philosophically, this is felt existentially by pretty much everyone today. Mm-hmm. If we take a cold, hard look at our heart, and I'm speaking for myself here too, like I live in faith, but with the recognition of this kind of, to put it bluntly, like we kind of face a nothingness sometimes and, and, and modernism, because, because modernism says there is nothing more at at best, at best, it will say God exists, but he doesn't interact with the world. Mm. That's, that's the best it can do but there is no transcendent goal for life and if there's no transcendent goal there right. is no meaning purpose sense or reason to things i was kind of preaching about this uh yesterday for for about around abiding in christ and how it's how that is the answer to the question of our existence today we we're looking for a place to be mm-hmm. and yet we are faced with the reality that we need not be like that we're, we're faced with that. Yeah. We, the philosophers talk about like this existential dread and this is because people don't have meaning purpose. And so they, mm-hmm. they just quiet down that desire mm-hmm. that's at the heart of things. Mm-hmm. And they actually kind of kill it by excessive buying and treating themselves and activities, et cetera, because it numbs the desire because that desire hurts if there mm-hmm. is no God. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, and, but and we don't know how to look for it. And it's like the church's mission to go back out there and say like, I, A, to rekindle that desire. Like that's like almost like mm-hmm. pre-evangelization, right? Like we got to, before you can even proclaim Jesus, you got to like say, no, you actually have a desire for something more that cannot be quenched. Yeah. Right. And that you need to reawaken that and that it's worth the adventure and the risk of reawakening that. 
only then to say that, yes, you are actually made for something more and that life does make sense and it does have meaning and it does have purpose and, and, it, and it has a reason. Yeah. But it means you no longer being the judgment judge of your life, but now kind of going outwards. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, that to complement that, that receptivity mm-hmm. to receive revelation through the world from God. But that requires an openness and a vulnerability that we have kind of trained ourselves to not see. And so, you know, people people do not think of a God that that intervenes anymore. You can't. Miracles are hard for most people. Miracles do not convince most people to come to faith. They think it's some, they'll think of it as like a, oh, someone just made that up in history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll be honest, I think even for a lot of Catholics, miracles don't impress mm-hmm. anymore. <laughs> like, it's not meant to be a judgment. It's just to say that it, it's it's a statement of where we're at. And for the church's mission, we need to recognize that. And, and like, so I, cause I bet you anything, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast who have kids who stop living the faith. Sure. I think so much of it, like you said, Father, I think it's, it's kind of out there in the culture. And I think it comes from that. I hear more than ever people quoting Nietzsche and like saying, yeah, like it's good, you know, but if you, a real Nietzschean view of the world is basically that human beings can redeem themselves. I mean, and so we don't need anything else. We don't need God. We don't need Christ who redeemed us through his humanity and divinity. You know, he called it the the gospel of the future where truth is replaced with the will to power. And and I think that's so Mm -hmm. interesting connecting with what you're saying about modernism. It's it's like it's there in the culture. We don't necessarily say it or name it or talk about it, but it's infiltrating it's penetrating it's just within us as a culture and and i think it's really important that we pull this out and i'm glad that you named it in your Mm -hmm. book and said modernism and the problem of it is mediation i think that hits it right on the head and that's where and that's where there's two things with that one is because i and i do this too because i want to kind of stop the buzzwordiness that we tend to throw the way we throw it around uh i would say quite carelessly as catholics Oh, I don't like, I don't like that. The liturgy is not to my taste. Well, oh. therefore it's modernist. Like, no, you don't know what the word means and please don't use it because you don't know what you're talking about. Or even when it's said about art and architecture, when it's like, actually yeah. that's, that's not so like, that's, that's right. not its intent or goal, right. but right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But it might be ugly. <laughs> yeah. It might be ugly. Right. But there's, I mean, again, there's always beautiful, there's always beautiful modern stuff too. We right. talked about Gaudi a few weeks ago, right? That's modern. It's meant to be modern but it's beautiful as well. Um, but like, or, or that people say that things are to their own theological opinion or taste. Yeah. Like, so this is the interesting thing for me. Often the people who throw, I'm trying not to, perhaps I don't want to paint too with too thick of a brush, but how, however, when we throw the word modernism around carelessly, the, the people who tend to do that tend to actually be doing that in a modernist way. Right. Detachment. <laughs> who is the judge of truth? I am. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. truth is not revealed to me right right for truth it's, it's like we're so, separating ourselves actually from the church as the exactly you know, yeah. older and, and exactly right? and yeah. that and that yeah. and that's a real problem in the it church is. today i think we do have a, this kind of strong sense of i am the determiner of truth mm-hmm. well no that's actually kant yeah exactly and his philosophy that is not the ethos of christianity exactly yeah. And, and so it's it's helpful to kind of put a name to it and to start to see it mm-hmm. and to recognize the question. And like so like uh, the point I was trying to get to that earlier is like with parents who are listening who might have kids who aren't going to church, this is the question that's on your kid's heart. 
Right. And for you to propose the faith for them is you need to kind of open your own heart to that question if you're ever to be able to propose the faith to them again. Mm -hmm. Because that's that's what people are hungry for. If life is meaningless, it's easier to just kind of survive Mm -hmm. and just kind of coast through. Mm -hmm. But we're not living the thriving of the heart that way. And, And so... It's about recognizing this ideology that really is at play. Like uh, for me, if I were going to do a little media thing, I think one of the best examples of this is the Good oh, Place. You like that? Have you seen? <laughs> I love. I'm so it is interested. One of the, oh my gosh, I okay. like have issues with it too. Well, I have issues. <laughs> okay. I have issues. No, no, no right. I have issues. The show again, like kind of what yeah. Sister Danielle said, the show reveals right the exactly of of modernity. Yeah, but it was actually also just one of the most. It did a great job just popularizing a lot of ethics and philosophy and of ethics. No, you're right. right? It did. And, and, that part... But it, it sh- there was a f- like, there were some positive things, actually. The way they, they talk about the afterlife, it's actually quite an embodied way, which I found really interesting and True. quite positive, right? It's opposite of the but, of soul. Right. <laughs> but the whole idea of the afterlife is a kind of utilitarian mm-hmm. point system of whoever gets the most points right. gets into the good place mm-hmm. and those who get... And the bad place, and it is, it's a kind of an absurd comedy, which is what makes it work so well. Mm-hmm. But the show, because it refuses to deal with the question of the transcendent. Right. Right. Heaven. Right. Or sorry, the good place and the bad place are really just extensions of earth. Yeah, exactly. They're not. Yeah. Right. Right. They're not something transcendent. They're right. not something other. Mm-hmm. And there is, I mean, obviously that we know one of the big problems is there is no mention of God and the, the writer of the show kind of did, I, I watch the show yeah. at least once a year now. I, I really do enjoy it. <laughs> oh, wow. I think the comedy is great, but it, it shows the kind of the result of modernism that mm-hmm. desire for created things come to an end. And they don't, if they don't point to something else, you get what, and this is what shows in the end, at the end of the series. If you haven't watched it, sorry, spoilers. Mm-hmm. They all experience an ennui, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a sense of it is enough. I'm done. Mm-hmm. And they walk in through this like little gate mm-hmm. and they kind of get spread out into the universe yeah. or whatever it is, right? Yeah. It's very kind of Buddhist yeah. of this kind of re-entering into the the, the, the cosmic one, the nirvana or whatever. Mm-hmm. But but, it's, but it's, it, it, for me, it shows that that, that I think that the writers of the show, and I think a lot of people like the show because of this, it shows that the human heart refuses to even come to the question of transcendence, that I am made for something more beyond just creation. And that's why, so I find that interesting because it tells me where people's hearts are at. Right, right. Even though I think don't it's completely people, wrong, obviously. Don't you think, and I think people there are, really do search for that? They, they don't necessarily name it? Some do, some don't. That's true. I think. Yeah. I mean, honestly, uh, that, so it, after graduating from college, I had um, an experience that really was like in a moment where I had a stark clarity of just like that God existed and kind of my whole philosophy of life was wrong. And it wasn't like I was filled with like this immense amount of consolation that like, oh, that means this. Mm-hmm. It just meant I was wrong. And I was on, it was kind of like, I don't know if you've ever read that book, uh, who moved my cheese? Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it's a good book for like if you transition a lot. Well, anyway, it's like, like the heart of my desire was moved, and I didn't know where it went. Mm-hmm. And the thing of being a real student of modernism or postmodernism is that that on me was my life. But I thought that it would help me. Like there was this weird kind of intermingling of redemption and 
and my Catholic uh, formation growing up, even though I had like Swiss cheese thighs holes in my formation, I still had um, that, that formation. You can't take that away when you've been, really been exposed to the Eucharist. And so like part of my, where I was at was just this disillusionment that I was never going to be able to kind of be self like there was only the shadow of the cross mm -hmm. at the end of this journey like I looked at all the people that I admired and the um the artists that you know that I had kind of followed in the, their path or whatever all my mentors and really it was you sat in that on me and you named it as your own and that was your job was to articulate the specificity of your own ennui. And I was like, oh, no, this cannot be it. And I was at a place where I was trying to accept that that was reality. Mm -hmm. And 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 it was kind of in a moment of, of really maybe on the tottering of despair, even where truth pierced my heart and I just knew there was something more and that God mm -hmm. was real. Mm -hmm. And that what that did so many different things for me but the main thing it did for me it was like kind of devastating to feel like I had built my world and my empire was like wah, wah, really nothing yeah. but on another end um it was freeing because I right. didn't have to define that entire world all by my own terms or figure it all out or um and like I I just think that the good place was so I was mad at the end of the good place because I, <laughs> yeah, so like, I. Yeah, so was I. So was I. You can't leave people there. That's exactly. where I was. Like that's where. Yeah. But I thought about. I, uh, it's so neat to hear you say that mm -hmm. because I think there are so many films that I see mm -hmm. that bring me back to that place, and it helps me as an evangelizer to think about mm -hmm. step outside of my own experience and think about what was the difference mm -hmm. when Christ pierced my life. How you know yeah. what was the difference? For me too, it's like it's similar. It's like I, I before my conversion, I was just I, I never really cared about the question. It's only actually it's funny the conversion is what made me realize the question that's always been there. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. never acknowledged it, right? And that and it's funny uh, because it, in a way those things always those tensions like the questions don't leave you, mm -hmm. right? The, those tensions don't leave you just because you come to faith. And I actually think that's a good thing because you then go, like I'm very, a big fan of Mother Teresa and I really believe that we are to kind of enter into the darkness of the age we're in. Mm -hmm. So we're going to experience that too, still, mm -hmm. even in faith. Mm -hmm. And, and Romano Guardini actually has a great book on this, The End of the Modern oh, World. Yes. Goes all into this, that the church's mission is going to be living faith in darkness, mm -hmm. right? And that it's, it's going to have an equality with the world in that way, that it's going to share the world's darkness, but the only thing is, it's going to be a faith in darkness. It's going to be a cross. Mm -hmm. So the question doesn't leave you, but now you know. Like for me, it's like the question doesn't leave, but I already know the. I always know the answer, mm -hmm. which makes it hard to choose the the only other possible answer, which is nihilism and nothing exactly. and all that stuff, uh -huh. right? Um, it, it, it's 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 always going to be there because yeah, I didn't have. But yeah, like. I didn't have any desire to look after things. I was I was going to, I was going to go into computer science. I was going to be I was going to be a programmer for EA Sports and Burnaby, and I was going to have a house and two kids, and that was going to be my life. Mm -hmm. And I was mm -hmm. satisfied with that. There and there is something beautiful about that life. But my reasons for wanting it was was not for any. It wasn't out right. of any desire. It was just out of a kind of coasting. Mm -hmm. Those 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 choices of life should come from a real place of desire. Isn't it a right? miracle though that like 
even in this in this cultural milieu that we live in of a postmodernism, post postmodernism, whatever, mm -hmm. it, it's like the miracle of God's grace still at work, where people who are mm -hmm. searching come and enter the church at Easter Vigil by the mm -hmm. thousands every year, and it's like, you know, just kind of blows my mind that you know grace is at work regardless. Yeah. <laughs> grace is at grace is at work, but it's all and it's. It's that work through the church. Exactly, through the church. Right? So this is, and this is the thing we try to get. I want to hope that people will take away through this at the end. It's like God works through everything, and that it's through the church, and it's through the baptized, and it's through the material world, and that the material, and that that actually gives a dignity to things now. Because mm -hmm. now things, you desire them, but not for their own sake, but because they lead you to something more. They point, mm -hmm. right? That everything created has a point value. This is one of... Um, Thomas Aquinas' famous arguments for the cause, the argument from causation, right. right? That every cause points to a a, a former cause, and that um, but that all causes has to have one cause outside the sequence of causes. Yeah. But like that's the idea is like every cause points to something more to the point where you realize that the causes can't cause themselves. Something has yeah. to come in from the outside, uh -huh. and that's the same thing. Every everything points towards God, but that's what imbues it with meaning mm -hmm. and beauty and truth. Mm -hmm and justice and life and, and it right. inflames desire. So then now we actually start to experience things with a fuller life. If they don't have any of the sign value, then like when we eat a meal, it just becomes eating things for nutritional nutrition sake, right? Mm -hmm. right? And not for the sake of what it symbolizes. Like a bringing together a family, a celebration of something, right? Like I'm sure at the convent, you guys have big celebration meal, celebratory meals for mm -hmm. feast days and mm -hmm. saint days and mm -hmm. Easter and Christmas and everything, right? It symbolizes something more. You're not just eating food so you can have energy for the next, for the day. You're doing it because it, it also speaks something more. And, and that's only possible with exactly. God. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's actually, sorry, it's just a little thought that popped in my head. It's like, I think that's why actually nowadays you'll notice more and more people, it's all about nutrition to the point of it losing any of its sign value, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. A meal a meal has become kind of purposeless because we've lost that divine presence that imbues things with meaning and purpose in life. Yeah, I can't understand that. I, I love food, but I'm on a, I'm on a little food. like strict diet and myself, but I got to make it taste yeah. good. Come on, you got to make it nice and presentable and beautiful. Hey, that's as part of the artist in me. I just started doing that with food. It's <laughs> true. Because exactly. it's the sacramental moment. It's the sacramental exactly. moment of gathering together to share exactly. a meal. It's so much more than just, you know, putting food in your body and yeah, eating the same thing every single day. That's boring. <laughs> <laughs> and your food is beautiful, Sister Nancy. <laughs> so I just thought of something, Sister Nancy, you might appreciate this one. So have you seen The Big Lebowski? Of course. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm a Coen Brothers fan. Absolutely. They're nihilist, Donnie. Don't worry about it. I actually used the phrase, the dude abides. Oh, the dude abides. Oh, the dude abides, right? But I mean, it is really, like, I, I watched it and I'm like, this is an incredibly Trinitarian film. All, all of their movies <laughs> are amazing. Those are, right? Mm -hmm. But what is it? It is like John Goodman's character is kind of almost like God the Father. Yes. <laughs> right, and and uh, Donnie's the Holy Spirit, and the dude's the son. He's the, right, he's the son. He's the dude. He's the, he's dude. the dude. Right, <laughs> abiding for us sinners. Exactly. <laughs> you know, um, but what are they? What are they facing against? They're nihilists, Donnie. Don't worry about it. Right, but it's like I, what I've always loved about and I love about that scene is like the absurdity of the nihilists and everything. Right. But like the absolute confidence of God, uh, of the the father figure of God, the father right. figure, and John Goodman's character of that there really are nothing. Right. They aren't a threat. 
they because when you're in that communion together, it has no real power over you. But that's only possible when you're in the life of God mm-hmm. um, and in that and that relationship of communion and and pointing towards that something more. And so I've always I always I just love that film for that reason is that it actually in some ways manifests artistically everything we're talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. You know, another film I, I got to say it just came to my mind, too, is A Hidden Life with the story of Franz oh, Jagerstadter. So good. So it's good. such a beautifully like meditative film and some people are oh my god this is kind of boring it's actually so beautiful because mm-hmm. it shows his life in austria with his wife and his children and they're living a very pastoral life it's like away from the rest of the world in these gorgeous mountains you know in the valley of these gorgeous mountains and and yet in the world you know Hitler is starting to take over and World War II is erupting and he's called on to take to take and be part of the German army and to take the oath of allegiance to Hitler and he refuses mm-hmm. and, and and yet in this simplicity of life that he was living he was called radically out of that simplicity to to do something that was completely against his conscience and yet he was told by people even people in the church were telling you, well, you can like say one thing, but believe another, you know, you could say the words of the oath, but then like in your heart, you know, you're not. And we hear this in the, and we hear this in the, in the Bible. It's like, you can't do that. You can't be dichotomized. You can't separate the person. And he was a perfect example where it's body and soul. We are one human being and we cannot separate that. And he, he refuses, and he's and he's killed for it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I interviewed the, the one of the producers, Elizabeth Bentley, and she is she was wonderful. And since she took ten years to get this made, and she says having a Catholic perspective and understanding broadens us because we see beauty, freedom, and truth in the here and now. And I thought that was a leading right into your book on the sacramentality and the sacramental worldview. Yeah. It's like, yeah, God's always present here. I mean, that was for me a, a real power of that movie is is that, right? It was in, in everything they're doing, in, in the ups and downs, the, the joys and the trials, Christ mm-hmm. is secretly present there. And it, for me, I, another because another thing is is I found that that, my gosh, now I just lost the director. Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. <laughs> Terrence Malick. That movie is part of his search for Christ. Like he, mm-hmm. he's personified in the artist mm-hmm. in the church, right? In the mm-hmm. searching for the face of Christ and trying to paint Christ perfectly, right? Uh-huh. That's that is that that scene is Terrence Malick. Exactly. Searching, mm-hmm. he's searching. I mean, and he he's a philosophy major. Right. He was doing his PhD in, in Heideggerian philosophy right. in Cambridge, and then left it all and started making movies. Exactly. So his his films play out the Heidegger mm-hmm. theme of the Dasein, that that the what is now, mm-hmm. what is in front of us, and but that he he's trying to see that this what is in front of us points towards something more and his films are really a search it, it's they're really an expression of his own personal search there mm-hmm. and he's he so what it's beautiful about that is his films i think really point to that eager need he hasn't been able to make the, the last step yet right he just hasn't personally been able to make that step and you see mm-hmm. that conflict in his film mm-hmm. But he, so he's still in that realm of conflict. But he he recognizes the the heart the desire that's at play to push towards God, and that movie just plays it out so well. Yes, it's so interesting that so often for people when they feel like they have to like so as you 
fall into modernism where you like take on these ideas that seems like ceremony and um, like really being able to uh, celebrate, I don't know, like it seems like liturgy falls on the side, mm-hmm. the tendency to walk away from the sacraments to the sort of ritual that surrounds our lives and religion um, becomes taboo. Um, but we also seek those things out in other other ways. Like we can't get away mm-hmm. from that. So what I've kind of seen in um, friends of mine or even in my own journey, this desire to step to, or this feeling of a need to step away from the sacraments and the liturgical life in order to figure out the mm-hmm. like either something that someone suffered through a trauma or to make sense of life. And I wondered if we could speak to that because I feel like it's like a mm-hmm. movement even yeah. amongst young adults um, that are trying to better understand themselves, kind of experience this self-realization or even like the desire to be able to accept oneself even in the darkest or more difficult mm-hmm. parts of who mm-hmm. they are and not finding a place in the church for that mm-hmm. and thinking they have to leave it. Yeah. So and I think I think part of that is is really is a failure of the church to preach Christ crucified and risen. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's that famous phrase that John Paul II wrote at the Second Vatican Council, man cannot find himself except through a sincere gift of self. Mm-hmm. Right, that it's in the act of giving away that one finds. Right, this is the principle of the seed and the and the sower and the seed. That only when something dies does it bear fruit. Does it actually gain life? It is the paradox of Christianity, but it's the heart of of Christian living, and we haven't preached that. Mm-hmm. Instead, we preach moral platitudes. Um, we perhaps, I would say, give an overly historical approach to scripture of reading, and when we're reading it and, and preaching about it, where we spend so much, where uh, you know, we're preaching about it and talking about it to such a way where all we're talking about is the time and place, without actually like saying, "But here's how Christ speaks to us today through this." Mm-hmm. Right? We've lost, in other words, we've lost the idea that Jesus works through His church today, mm-hmm. and to preach that to people to help them understand that and to know that, and so people, so pe- people go start looking elsewhere when the church has failed to do this, there was actually, a, I didn't watch the whole interview, but there was a, a dialogue, I guess, between Jordan Peterson and Bishop oh, Barron yes. a few weeks ago. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And this is, Peterson really kind of goes after Bishop Barron about this. And he says, with the things he's noticing in the world and in his work. And, and again, Peterson's another one of those seekers, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I personally, I think there's some really interesting things with him. I also disagree with some of his like psychological takes mm-hmm. on things and, and, and some of his worldview, but regardless, he's a seeker and we need to take that mm-hmm. seriously. And he sees clearly what Christianity is meant to be. Mm-hmm. And he calls it out and Bishop Barron agrees with him, like saying, yeah, we've not allowed the heroism of Christianity to be itself. There's also the great little uh, short story that George Bernanos wrote about it's a, it's a, he's taken a hypothetical He's a great 20th century Catholic mm-hmm. uh, writer. Read his mm-hmm. books. They're amazing. Um, it's it's, it's, it's a, a sermon on the occasion of the Feast of St. Therese. Mm-hmm. And he takes a hypothetical. What if an agnostic were to preach on this feast day? What would he say to the Christians? And he, and he, and he the guy gets up there and he's like, you keep on saying that when you come out of confession, you, 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 you are in a state of grace. State of grace. Is that true? Christian, where is your joy? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. Now, at the same time, we also have to remember that Christianity is not about pure heroism. It's also about living and accepting the truth of weakness as well and to live peace in that. 
So heroism is really saying, I am weak. I cannot be a hero. And that's where, you know, it's where, um, where I'm weak there, I'm strong because the power of Christ resides in me. Right. Uh, this is the other aspect of it. And that's why, that's why I struggle. I'm like, okay, I get the heroism thing and I even get what Bernays is getting at, but don't forget the other side of living the weakness too. And I think we've just failed at teaching and preaching that we've, in other words, we've failed to proclaim Christ. Mm -hmm. And when you fail to proclaim Christ, you, you lose people. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that's why a lot of people just kind of go to the, the ideal of the culture where it says I'm spiritual, but not religious, this privatization of, of religion where it separates really, it's really religion is restricted to the private sphere. It's not even in the public uh, conversation anymore because, oh, that's just your truth. That's not mine, you know, kind of a thing. And you hear this all over the place. And a lot of, like you said, Sister Danielle, people, especially young people who are um, searching in life, and this is their answer, and that's what they're hearing from the culture. Um, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. So I don't need the sacraments. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go there physically. I, I can pray to God on my own, you know, kind of a thing. And, and I think this is kind of a result of modernism or postmodernism and post-postmodernism. It's kind of leading to that, to that idea that, um, it's a rejection really of where we are human beings together, human being, body and soul connected, and that it's not where we have faith in one element and then we live our life in another. We have to live it in our everyday experience. Um, and I think they don't realize that, but the gift of the sacraments helps us to see that, helps us to make it tangible, helps it to make concrete in every day. Yeah, I think this idea of witness that you're speaking a lot about, you know, that like we need witnesses in the church of the grittiness to which God comes into our human experience and reveals himself there and sits with us in it. And that, that doesn't necessarily turn us into like plaster of Paris, you know, like holy, holy, holy look, looking people, but they're like saints are ordinary people sitting next to you. You maybe never, you would never even really know. Um, but that they live that human experience in Christ and they stay there. I feel like we are in such a saint making time. Oh, and definitely. I feel like there are saints all around us and they're probably more hidden than ever. Right. And so like, I feel like there's ways when I think about history and I think about where, where was the church and this isn't a criticism per se. It's like, it's an investigation of just kind of looking at like, while all these things were happening and, and where um, people were looking for uh, for Christ in these areas, really at the, at the deepest level. And I think it, we can learn, we can learn from what is being put out into culture and we can say Christ is there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Thank you for naming it. Thank you for articulating it so mm -hmm. clearly, so distinctly, but that's not it. That's not the end. Christ is right there in that experience. And, but you can't do that unless you're getting in touch with it yourself mm -hmm. and experiencing Christ in those areas of our own lives. I think this is fascinating because I, I, even our Protestant brothers and sisters are searching and really going into the, even this idea of the sacramental life and sacramentality. And it's really, it's really cool to see. And, yeah. and, and I get requests probably more from my Protestant brothers and sisters than our Catholics to give talks and reflections on like the cinema divina experience. How do we pray with scripture? How do we pray with film? How do we pray with the concrete experiences of our life? And, 
and and these different prayer experiences and they're wanting they're wanting this sacramental understanding uh understanding the symbols and signs and how they are pointing to to grace to god's presence in our in our midst and and it's really exciting to see in many ways i'm, I'm excited and i think now we just got to get our catholic brothers and sisters to see the gift that's before them <laughs> Yeah, and for people to even just think about it and to be aware of it. Yeah, you know, and another thing on all that too is, how do I want to put this? But I think even the way we proclaimed, we we preached about what heaven is for a long time and who God is, Mm -hmm. lost all this incarnational element. Mm. Preaching and teaching in the church is is always meant to be prophetic. And prophetic does not mean about telling the future. It means pointing to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that... Jesus isn't in the ether in the far off distance, but really in a really true and profound way, he is here and now. Mm-hmm. And he's especially here liturgically, but he's here with your baptism. He's mm-hmm. here in the Eucharist. He's, he, and because of, because he's, he's, you're united, united him with your baptism, there is not a moment he's separated from you. Right. Right. You might separate yourself from him if you like sin seriously or something like that, but he's not separated from you mm-hmm. because that like, otherwise like the grace of, Confession needs to be able to work to, to draw you back. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the baptism, the baptism doesn't stop working there because he's, his grace is like, okay, I want to redeem you. And I'm going to enter into your sin. And I'm going to enter into your darkness. And I'm going to enter into your ennui. And I'm going to enter into your lost sense of self. And I'm going to say, I am here with you. Mm-hmm. And that is what the church lost for such a long time. And I, I think we're just starting to rediscover that again. And I think it needs to be at the heart of our preaching and teaching, but also in the heart of our living. Like, yeah, like I, I think again of mother Teresa, I know she's a, she's an easy one to go to, but I mean, she is someone I have a deep love for and how Malcolm Muggridge, a Mm -hmm. a professed communist converts by his encounter with her. Mm -hmm. She never preaches to him, Mm -hmm. right? She didn't have to preach to him. Her life pointed to something, to a deeper question for him. It, It, her life, expose the question, yes. right? This is why like John, or no, sorry, uh, Hansers, yeah, and, and Hansers von Balthasar, mm-hmm. this is his big thing, right? That the greatest apologetic today is the saint. Mm-hmm. It's not arguments. It's not going to be deep intellectual discussions often. It's, it's, it's uh, the saint reveals your heart to you mm-hmm. because they're manifesting Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's their job. Christ is working through them to say, I want to, see, I want you to see your heart as it is so that I can finally enter in there and I can redeem you. Mm-hmm. And that's why we need saints. And I agree, sister, like Danielle, that we, we, this is perhaps, Guardini actually says this too. He says, this is going to be one of the best saint making times ever mm-hmm. in, in church history because mm-hmm. we're all going through the cross together. Mm-hmm. And that's what the church is going to continue to grow through. I wish I could say, Hey, the cross is coming to an end. And no, we, we were just getting started, yeah. <laughs> yeah. but, but that's, but here's the thing. Christ is there on the cross. You're not being uh-huh. crucified alone. Right. You are with him. And and, the, and so the sacramental reviews to say in a very real, profound, and personal, and, and ecclesial way, Christ is united to all his, all Christians who are united to him in baptism, that in their suffering, he is really and truly there to bring redemption to the world. Amen. Amen. That is so beautiful. Yeah, it's a beautiful note to even wrap up on for a time. I was like, I could talk about this all day. I love it. Thank you so much. That was really beautiful. I uh, found a prayer. It's always good to give um, all that we're praying with and speaking on to Mary. 
So um, I love this idea of, uh, of Mary at the Annunciation and how we're presented with giving our yes more and more fully. And um, I thought we could offer this prayer as a way for all of us to uh, give our yes to the Lord, to ask for grace, to penetrate our lives, that we might be filled with the sacramental worldview to the fruitfulness of Mary. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. May all generations proclaim you blessed, O Mary. You believed the words of the archangel Gabriel spoke to you, and in you were fulfilled all the great things he had announced. My soul and my entire being praise you, O Mary. You had faith in the incarnation of God's Son in your virginal womb, and you became the mother of God. Then the happiest day in human history dawned. The world was given Jesus, the Son of God the divine teacher and king of the universe. Faith is the gift of God and the source of everything that is good. O Mary, obtain for us a lively, firm, and active faith, a faith that leads to holiness in this life and the assurance of life in heaven eternally. May we ponder the works of your beloved son and hold them in our hearts, just as you contemplated and preserved them in your heart. May the gospel be preached to the ends of the earth. May everyone believe the truth of its message so that all people will become, in Jesus Christ, children of God. Amen. Amen. Jesus, Master, way, truth, and life. Have mercy, Have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. In the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a fruit of the Daughters Project. This initiative of the Daughters of St. Paul to spread the gospel online is made possible by our generous Patreon supporters. Consider joining us in our mission by contributing to Patreon today. You can find us at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. God bless you.